0: Hey friends, welcome back to today's episode of the Right Setup Leadership Podcast. My name is Jonathan and I am your creative producer over at Stay Forth Designs. Before we get into our conversation, um, I want to remind you briefly to join us in the Right Setup community. We've created a cool space, a safe space, a vibrant community over on Facebook where almost 900 of you have come together to grow together, to learn together, to receive practical leadership tips, thoughts, tweaks, all ways that you can take next steps toward getting healthy, reaching more impact to move from surviving in your context to thriving, all brought to you by our amazing Stay Forth Designs team. So if you haven't joined us yet, you can click the link down in the show notes, or you can head over to facebook.com, find Stay Forth Designs, give our page a follow, click the groups tab. Request to join the Right Side Up community and uh, we'll get you in and you can start experiencing some very practical leadership content and some exclusive stuff that happens just over there. Um, so do us a favor. We know social media can be a volatile place and not very fun in today's you know, current climate, but we've worked very diligently and intentional to create a safe space for leaders to come together, learn together, grow together, and start thriving together. So we On to our episode, Alan has a very fun conversation today with uh, world-class executive coach Daniel Harkivay on making good decisions, staying healthy, and tension points leaders are wrestling with in this current season. I'm excited to dive into this one, so I'm not going to take up too much more of your time. So we hope that you enjoy today's very practical conversation on the Right Side Up Leadership podcast with Alan talking to Daniel Harkave on what separates great leaders. Hope you guys enjoy.
1: Well, Daniel, welcome to Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. It is so good to have you here, man. It's great to be with you, Alan. Thanks for having me. We have a bunch in common. And as you've, we're just kind of sharing some of the things uh, that you've done, just kind of a smattering of, things, you're obviously fascinated by helping other people to succeed, to win, to steward their lives, to pull out the greatness out of other people. So take me back to the first moment you can remember saying, I want to pull the greatness out of other people. Where did that start? Yeah, so it started uh, when I was in
2: my young 20s. I was given the opportunity to go from a a loan officer. I was in mortgage banking from the age 20 to to 30, but the first couple of years, 20 to 23, I was a loan officer, which meant I helped people get their financing in order to buy homes. And I did really well at it, super well. Um, I worked uh, incredibly hard and uh, I would make my palms sweat every day. I would put myself into situations that were incredibly uncomfortable. At uh, 22, I had my crisis of faith and knowing that many of your listeners are, are men and women of faith and Christ followers. I came to that place in my life at the age 22 and it was a big deal for me at 23. I was given the opportunity to manage and lead. I didn't have a team. I took over an operation, a branch, full P and L responsibility, no college degree. And, uh, I, I built that, um, Uh, with a whole bunch of help from God, because there was no way I could do it on my own. And it turned into the number one office in the organization. And uh, there were more than a hundred folks in the organization and six of the top 10 were recruited and coached by me. And what would happen, Alan was I would just meet with people that had really good reputations that worked for other firms. And I would sit down and I would interview them. I would find out what made them tick. And in that conversation, I guess I asked questions that very few people asked, which then gave me the ammunition to come up with suggestions as to how people could accomplish what they wanted to. And I would write everything down, just a copious note taker. And I would write everything down. And then after my meetings, I would figure out as a result of what I heard and the notes that I took, how could I help these people to accomplish their goals? So I started coaching back in the 80s before I knew it was coaching. And I helped all these competitors to accomplish what they wanted to. And and, uh, I knew that at some point I would outvalue their leaders. And sure enough, they all jumped ship and they came to work with me, which led me to having the privilege of serving the organization and running all the production. So I had offices throughout the Western US when I was 26. Company went public when I was 28. I was named to be the next CEO. I was being groomed. And at the age of thirty, I had a crisis belief of faith and belief and and all of it. And uh, I took a one year sabbatical and decided to to make a, a profession of coaching people. So I wrote about it in a book called "Becoming a Coaching Leader" back in two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. Tells a little bit of that story, but that's that's the high that's the high level
1: overview. Wow! So there, what probably wasn't too much of a coaching market at the time were you convincing people were you telling people a lot here's what coaching is and here's why it matters oh
2: bud like my wife and
1: i i think my wife
2: was embarrassed to tell people what i did because she really couldn't even explain it like yeah well he kind of he kind of helps people everyone would ask so what kind of a coach are you you football soccer like what do you coach and and if you knew me alan like i've never finished a season of sports uh I'm a surfer, snowboarder guy, and I just am awful at all ball sports. Maybe, maybe I can play tennis. You know, that's the one game that I, I have some game at. So it was always a joke, like, you know, what kind of a coach are you? And I drove around with a, a vanity plate that said D coach, D coach. A lot of my <laughs> coaches, when I started the company, all had B coach and T coach. And we were goofballs. We were like 30 years old. And, uh, and anyways, yeah, nobody knew what it was. And I always had to explain it.
1: So some of those early moments, so in your 30s, as a coach, can you take me back to one or two exhilarating moments? Wow, that's a great question, bud. Now you're making the old man think.
2: Um, Exhilarating moments. Yes. Oh, gosh, yes. Two of them. The first one, I was given the opportunity to speak at a conference of mortgage bankers, that was the first vertical I went for in my mor- in my coaching company. So my coaching company is building champions, and I figured if I could master coaching and getting paid for it in the mortgage banking space, and I could then prove that people would excel and accomplish goals and be better at what they did in that vertical, then I could move into different industries. Okay. So I'm given an opportunity to speak at like the the premier event in the British West Indies, a little island called Nevis. I'm the keynote on the fifth day. Every day has been just filled with brilliant, you know, presenters. And the night before my talk, which I'd been working on for a month, and I had down pat the night before, I got nervous. And I thought, man, everything I'm gonna say has already been said by somebody else. I stayed (laughs) up all Thursday night. I rewrote my talk. I had an hour and a half slot to speak and 15 minutes into it. I'm not kidding you. The screen went blank in my brain. I didn't know what to say. Wow. Knees shaking, sweating. You know, I had a friend in the audience lobbing me these really easy questions, and all I heard was like Charlie Brown's parents, wah, 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 wah. I couldn't make sense of anything. Complete adrenal overload. Executive functions shut down. Fight, flight, or freeze, I'm frozen. My wife's in the back. She's got her head in her hands. My wife is the greatest Daniel cheerleader you've ever met, and she's got her head in her hands, in her lap, shaking her head back and forth. No, no. Like, I know she's praying, oh, save him, save him. no. And I, I still have an hour and 15 minutes left. And the guy that put the event on has to come up on stage and rescue me. The number one, like hero clients in the front row, he gets up and walks out of the room. Wow. Exhilarating was your question. That's not the exhilaration I ever, <laughs> ever wanted, nor do I ever want again. That was number one. Number two was four months later. I had the opportunity to now speak in front of an audience that was 10 times the size. And, uh, Actually, it was a little longer than that after. But anyways, I put two of my clients up front and had them tell the story. There were 400 people in the room. 102 of them crammed my booth and signed up for my services within the 20-minute break right after. Now I had a capacity problem. Exhilarating, right? Both both exhilarating. One, I really liked. Both of them brought problems, but
1: both of them I learned from. Sure. So what'd you do? What was what, what? were those few months and how did you scale that capacity problem?
2: Yeah. So I had uh, had hired one coach already um, when I spoke at the event where we had the, the run on the bank. And then we went into, oh no, we need to hire somebody else real quickly. And we went to a wait list until we found the right man. And that right man, his name's Barry Engelman. And Barry uh, instrumental in, in building champions history. He was a great partner and served with me for 21 years. Amazing man. But Barry is the guy we found. So we went to a wait list. We were unapologetic. We added value to those on the wait list. And we just said, yeah, we're going to coach you, but you're going to wait four months and, uh, put a deposit down. It's first come first serve. and, And that's what we did. Right. Um, so how did I get to that point? A lot of coaching. the The guy who put me on stage, his name's Todd Duncan. He's kind of like this kingpin in mortgage banking, and he does these great events. and He's still at it. Todd's uh, ten years my senior, and he's still out there making a difference. And uh, Todd had confidence in me, and he put me up on the stage the first time, which was a, a crazy move. But then he put me on the stage the second time after saving my butt in Nevis, which you know, crazy and maybe kind of stupid, but, uh, God used him and I've been wow. grateful to, for Todd for, for years. Cause I don't know if I would have done that.
1: He, uh, wow. yeah. So you have your hands in a lot now when people ask you, so Daniel, what do you do? What do you tell them?
2: I've got a, a little executive coaching company called the uh, building champions and, and we help leaders to improve how they lead themselves, their teams and their organizations we believe better humans make for, for better leaders, and we believe one leader can change the world. Some of our clients have hundreds of thousands of employees, hundreds of thousands of teammates around the world. And uh, you know, what's the population of your city, Alan? Five hundred ish thousand. All right. So, you know, you 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 look at. Uh, yeah, I, I think of two of my clients that lead teams of about three hundred thousand, right? You put those folks together and it's like big, right? They, they, and how a leader shows up and how a leader sets the tone and creates culture, it it sends people home either better or worse. Yes, People spend the majority of their times doing their thing called work. And if they have an experience where they're valued and where they can win and they get to contribute in a meaningful way and they're clear on what they need to do and they're given opportunity and respect and support, Man, they go home and they want to kiss their spouses and focus on their kids and take care of themselves and be good neighbors. But if every day they go home and work just sucks, right? They go home, they throw one back, they kick the dog, and they you know sit down on the on the recliner and and watch news to get into a, a good mood after a bad day, which is insane in itself. Hmm. I may be a little bit uh,
1: facetious there, but it's true. You know what happens at work, man. It impacts how we live. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So before we get into your book, talk about the last 14 months. What are you seeing from leaders? What are some of the pain points right now in this moment for leaders to, to kind of rise back toward health or rise back toward greatness out of this crazy valley we've just been through?
2: Yeah. So let me take you back. You know, it was mid-March and I was leading an executive retreat over in Germany when the borders got shut. And I knew it was gonna happen. I called my wife and my chief of staff and I was telling them, you guys watch the State of Union and my bag's packed. I'm halfway through this exec retreat, but I'm hearing things over here. And at this, at this uh, exec retreat I had, I had leaders from around the world yeah, that all work for this one company. And, um, and I was like, oh no, like this is gonna get real. So I moved into the very human position of panic. You know, the four hours from a two thirty phone call to a six thirty flight out of Stuttgart to Amsterdam, Amsterdam, back to Portland was gnarly. Right. And a whole bunch of us were at Portland just fatigued from an adrenaline rush night. I knew we were in for a challenge. I came home on that flight and I had three mandates I shared with my team, which I then went on to share with many protect the team, preserve the business while the client mm. protect the team, At all costs, you protect your team. You preserve the business, which means you need oxygen, you need cash, you need to be really, really sharp in how you have longevity and and you don't crash. And the third thing is you wow your clients. Don't you take your eye off your clients, those you serve. And I know folks listening, I'm talking about ministry. Like, don't you take your eye off those that fill your buildings or watch your YouTube channels like you need to know them, you need to listen to them, you need to figure out how to help them. You do those things, three things, and I think you win. Well, that's what I came back with. I started a, a little video series called "Leading in Difficult Times," where I started talking about my concerns and what I was seeing and giving tips, blah blah blah. All right. We got through, we got through the summer months, Yeah, maybe the beginning of summer, and the big message was, move from defense to offense. You have responsibility. And, you know, for those of us of faith, God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and sound mind. Now move. Yep. Like move. Um, You were called to your post leaders to not sit back, hunker down, and protect. Leaders are always responsible for moving an organization, moving a group of people, a product or a service forward. That's what you do. And if you don't do that, well, then you're not really effectively leading. So you know, what am I seeing? What have I experienced over the last 14 months? It was hard for many. I, I lead something Alan called the CEO Roundtable, where every, uh, quarter or so the zoom screen fills up. I've been doing this for 20 years live, but in the last year and a half virtual, but you've got leaders on there, the chairman of Delta airlines, the, the chairman and CEO of Daimler trucks, um, uh, globally, you've got, uh, had a blue cross blue shield, uh, you know, I, I can go on and on. It's like the who's who, uh, great leaders, right? Great leaders, you know, Chick-fil-A and uh, so many different businesses. And we would split the screen down the middle. This half of the screen, the left side, will just say they had immense headwinds leading through COVID, leading through a pandemic and shutdown globally. They were just, they were bleeding cash and dealing with immense personnel challenges. The other half of the screen had immense tailwinds. They were smoking. They were going so mm. fast. They had capacity issues. And how do you keep people safe when you're fighting this unknown disease thing and they're considered essential? It was difficult for all leaders. Mm. Yep. So, you know, uh, today, um, leaders move forward. You know, figure out um, figure out if that vision of yours is still clear and compelling. Uh, figure out if you need to move, move and make any new strategic bets to react to this new environment that we're in, but move forward. That's what we leaders do.
1: Yeah, man, I, lean in, lean out. I saw, I don't want to simplify it. I don't want to just cut it down the middle, but I saw leaders lean in like never before. Uh, and I'd say, honestly, I'm proud of our Stay Forth team. We, we leaned in, we served, we were generous. You know, like you're saying, how can we add value right now in difficult times? And disappointingly, I also watched people lean out and not realize the opportunity that it was. And I am starting to see the fruit from a lot of those orgs, teams, uh, ministries, nonprofits that leaned in and said this is our moment. And frankly, I think a lot of the lack of runway that people have who didn't lean in. Um, so I man, seeing the exact same things, but it regardless, it's disorienting, right? Whether you're seeing success or you're seeing failure, or seeing growth, or you're seeing, you know, completely tanking. And uh, man, what a what a moment it's been. We'll we'll talk in ten years, and this will be in history books, and we'll like kind of replay it in our minds. But I love the recent history to talk through that. Congrats um, on your book. Can you just give us a little bit of a teaser? The seven perspectives of effective leaders: a proven framework for improving decisions and increasing your influence. I, I got to hear about improving your decisions right now. Like, give yeah. us a couple things. Zoom into that, Daniel. What are a couple principles? that a leader can take away for improving decisions right now.
2: So let's make sure that, that everyone listening right now understands what you just said. Um, decisions and influence, okay? This is a statement that I've been saying for six years and testing with all sorts of leaders. And what I say, I say, Alan, a leader's effectiveness is determined by just two things, the decisions they make and the influence they have. and a story. Wow. Challenge me on it. Challenge me on it. And I've sat with all sorts of leaders, whether it be you know, founder of Ritz-Carlton Hotels, Horst Schultze, uh, former CEO of Home Depot and now chairman of Delta Airlines, Frank Blake, Martin Dom. all these leaders. And all of them think about it and, and then they respond. And many of them are in the book. I've got like 20 or so of those leaders who all contributed their stories and why they see the different perspectives being critical for leadership. That's why I'm really... Um, Excited about the book because I think the model absolutely works, but I love reading their stories. So, so here's what happens. Today's times, there's no such thing as a, a know-it-all leader. You know, 15 years ago, I called that leader the superhero leader. You think you need to have all the answers and need to be the brightest one in the room. And and truthfully, that's birthed out of my own journey. In my own insecurities, in my own leadership journey, there was a time where I actually believed if I didn't have the answers, we'd fail. And that really followed me all the way into my 40s. 46 years old, I realized I'm doing my annual Sabbath day. I, I do this life planning thing. And you know, you had Megan Hyatt on, on one of your podcasts. Hello, Megan, I love you. And your daddy and your family. But Michael was a client of mine for years. And he and I wrote uh, Living Forward and Life Planning. And, and, and every year at the end of the year, I do what I say in that book, which is go away and write my life plan. And I reflect on the year past. Well, when I was 46, the big lesson as I was reflecting was Daniel, you just don't know that much. Kind of an idiot, Mm -hmm. don't know it all. And it was liberating. And uh, that was really when I think I made a shift to understand that my job was never to know it all. My job was to see where we were going and then to surround myself with the best people who are smarter than I am. And then to ask a whole bunch of questions of them so that I could incorporate the intelligence needed to make the best decisions or to point to the person who needed to make the best decision because very rarely is it me. I make decisions on big magnitude things, magnitude of order, big strategic relationship. That's my job as a CEO, but uh, I need everybody's input and I need a whole bunch of decision makers to lead an organization. So leaders today, you make really great decisions if you have intentional curiosity, Mm. you're humble, which makes you curious. I get to spend time with amazing leaders. And I'll tell you what, they're just fantastic questioners. Mm. There's a, a, a saying that I say often. I heard this quote from a Nobel Peace Prize winner, Najib Booz, And he says, you can tell a man is wise not by the answers that he gives, but by the questions that he asks. You want to make great decisions? You really think about the questions and who you're going to ask them of, where you're going to look. And I say there's seven perspectives that you need to really be looking at with intentional curiosity in
1: order to make better decisions. If you do, your influence grows. That's the book. Mm. We say you build a healthy life by making a series of healthy decisions. And it's amazing to me how many times we're trying to make reactive decisions that actually can be proactive, made ahead of time. Talk about the difference between reactive and proactive decision-making. Yeah, you're. Uh, I'm sorry if I sound
2: salesy. Please forgive me. Um, you don't write a book if you don't think it can change people's lives and how they lead. So, in in living forward, uh, we talk about the drift, and the drift is this cultural kind of phenomenon that causes you to take your eyes off of what matters most. Humans, image bearers of God, feel. We have emotion. And if you look at all the research done on how humans make decisions, we make decisions based upon feelings. So, therefore, we react to a feeling. The feeling is always real, it's always real. But the narrative that caused the feeling may not be necessarily true. So, therefore, you can make decisions based upon very real feelings, but false narratives, false assumptions, false bits of knowledge. Then you make bad decisions, which you then later. Regret. I love what you say, Alan. A healthy life is determined by a whole bunch of healthy decisions. So you have to be proactively intentional and absolutely positively sure about what matters most to you. And in Living Forward, I call those accounts. These are accounts in my life where I play a unique stewardship role I'm the only one that gets to be husband to my sweet bride, Sherry. I'm the only one that gets to be dad to all my kids and grandpa to the young ones. And I'm the only one at this season of my life to be CEO. And I'm the only one that gets to steward my faith. I'm the only one that gets to steward and shepherd in my community. I'm the only one that gets to steward my gift of health, my finances. These are all accounts in my life where for some reason, God said, hey, Daniel, I'm going to put you in this role. So you you get real clear on who you want to be in each of those areas then you get clear on what you want to do you have a vision for the future on each one of those and that pulls you forward that's like this magnetic pull power so that when the emotions come because somebody didn't treat you right or you don't feel like doing it you crush the feeling you look at that future state you understand the role you play you understand that you are a shepherd or a steward and You take those talents and you invest. You invest of yourself and you bring your best, striving to please an audience of one. But you have to be clear on what matters most. Without a GPS,
1: you can really drift and get yourself off course. Mm. You know that. So good. Intentional curiosity, nature or nurture? Mm, I, I think
2: it's a... I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think all of us are born with it. You know, I got these little grandkids and they're so curious, right? You actually have to stop them from being curious. If you don't, they'll kill themselves. That's right. You know, they'll stick their finger in it and they'll get shocked. So they're so curious. They learned that, you know, that fire's hot. So I think we were born intentionally curious. And then I think what happens is this is a, a difficult world. You know, cruelty ex- happens. We get to our junior high school years and Something happens where we're shamed and embarrassed, and we say well, we're never going to do that again because it didn't feel good. So then we start posing, and uh, you know John Eldridge has done a whole bunch of stuff on that, and he's your fellow neighbor, great guy. But you know we start this pose, and and uh, we we we're not comfortable with our imperfection, and we lose that curiosity. So I think it's I think everyone's born with it, but I think the best of the best. Are really comfortable. It's an identity issue. This is a really big conversation, Alan. If you want me to roll on it, I will. Otherwise, I'll let you correct because I Go. I've got some answers. Go. All right. So here's what happens in life. Imagine there's gears and they're interlinked. They're these gears that connect. The outer gear is relationships, habits, or disciplines, and results. The outer gear is what you see, Alan. It's what every everybody sees. They see how I deal with other people. They see my habits and action. And then they see the results that I get in business, in life, in ministry. Then they make decisions about me based upon that outer gear. It's a performance gear, right? But there's an inner gear that fuels that outer gear. And oftentimes that inner gear is where the work needs to be done. And the inner gear right at the center has a cog and it's called identity. And then it's comprised of thinking, belief, and behavior. I'm sorry, thinking, belief, and feeling. That inner gear drives that outer gear. Hmm. Who I know I am, who I believe I am at the identity, at the very core of who I am, that gets strengthened by what I think about and what I believe. That influences what I think about myself, about you and others, what I believe about you, myself and others and opportunities. Then that impacts how I feel. That spins and it impacts my relationships, my habits and the results I get. So that inner gear is key and knowing who you are, whose you are, why you're here. It's everything. There's no mistakes who you are. People you're created in the the image of God Mm. who can do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. And, and he indwells you and he wants to use you for his goodness. And in this past year, We've taken some blows because we were told we couldn't look at each other or embrace one one another. We couldn't have community. Well, that's the third gear, mind, body, and soul. You know, how are we feeding ourselves? So much of it has to do with relationships, with prayer, with worship, all around the word. I can go on in gears and gears and gears. That's my next book. Stay tuned. I'm getting ready to write that one. Gears.
1: Oh, there you go. We're going to have you back on if you got the time sometime, because I want to rabbit trail on all this stuff, Daniel. (laughs) um, Guys, don't forget his book, The Seven Perspectives of Effective Leaders. I'm excited to crack that one open. Um, But coaching, Uh, I mean, a fellow coach in this conversation, I want to learn from and with what you're learning. How do you think you being a coach has made you a better leader?
2: Oh, it's like
1: hands down. I go to school every day. Every day. Don't tell anyone. Like, we get I, the most out of this th- from, than anyone else, it, even though we're getting paid. Dude, it's stupid. Like I sit front row. I cannot believe I get to sit
2: and facilitate and question some of the most amazing men and women in leadership. 25 years doing it. Oh, my gosh. Like, this is better than any Harvard course. This is crazy. I get the phone calls. I get to talk to their teams. I get to be involved in their strategy. I get to be involved in the yeses and the noes. It's nuts. I get to listen to how they think. I get to question it. It's phenomenal. Hmm. And, and here's the, you know, I, I hope they're not listening. They probably already know they're so much smarter than I am. (laughs) Like every one of them, Alan, they're so much smarter. I, 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 and I will joke, you know, I've, I've got clients that lead massive organizations and I'll often say, man, I don't know how you do it. Like you put me in that role for one day and this thing goes down. We're toast. I could probably keep it propped up for a week. I probably could. That would be, you know, sheer energy and smiling a lot. But uh, after that, they would realize that that guy didn't have all the cylinders that our, our previous leader has. So
1: I learned, man. It's amazing. Mm, that's good. Yeah, I can I can tell you're a learner. You're intentionally curious. I, I love that man. And I I recognize and affirm that in you. Um, and man, I want to continue to stay stoked and stay creative and stay curious over time. That's something I deeply admire in people. And you're right, it comes from a humility. And it also comes from the opportunity, look at the opportunity I get to be in a conversation with somebody. And so, oh yeah, it happens. Other people will catch our conversation later on this podcast, but I'm learning a ton from you. Are there a few areas right now that leaders should really dial in on and, and focus on? Um, we've been through a season. We've been through a valley and complexity and all that. Couple areas leaders should dial in on right now.
2: Well, there's two big topics that most businesses and I would assume ministries are also dealing with. Uh, I, you know, you and I spoke. I, I led a ministry called Ministry Coaching International for about 14 years, and I've just started a, a not for professor So, so Ministry Co- Coaching International was all around helping ministry leaders to to really lead themselves and the organizations well. And uh, I myself have coached pastors over the years, dear dear brothers, and worked side by side with great sisters as well, and it's been wonderful. And then this thing called Set Path is all about helping America's young adults to be intentional. Uh, We're taking older adults who want to walk them through our life planning process that we've rewritten. And uh, we're going to transfer hope and belief into them. So, you know, um, today, with everything that we've been through, there's two big challenges that we leaders are facing. And that is, what does work look like and the vaccine? And last year, I was telling everybody this. I was, I was saying, hey, folks, the vaccine is going to be the interesting one. This is going to be really interesting mm-hmm. because it's so personal. And then it's so global and it's so confusing. And, and so, so that's a big one that leaders need to weigh in on and really figure out. Um, this is where intentional curiosity matters And you need to check your fear at the door. Fear will hijack you all the time. And uh, fear, it stunts and shuts down curiosity. So it's such a personal conversation that uh, it can escalate pretty quickly. In leaders, you can't escalate. Your job is to think well and to create an environment where your people think well. Mm -hmm. The moment there's a whole bunch of adrenaline and cortisol pulsing through brains, no one's thinking well. They're in fight, flight, or freeze. Now we're screwed. So we have to create this calm, open conversation where we're seeking um, information, opinion, and perspective so that we can make the tough decisions that we need to make. All right, that's one. And then what does work, like? work look like? I think the church needs to understand this. You know, the church, the mission hasn't changed. The circumstances have. Mm-hmm. And for many churches, it's starting to look normal again. Um, And depending upon where you're at, I'm in Portland, Oregon. I'm outside of Portland. I'm in West Lynn. I know our reality here in Oregon is way different than Texas. I know it's way different than Florida or Idaho. Um, No matter where you are, you have to navigate. How do we stay on point? The mission's the same. The circumstances have changed. Leaders, that's your job. Your job is to surround yourself with the best thinkers and figure out how to advance the cause. So whether your cause, Alan, I know many of your listeners listeners are in ministry. So your cause is to advance the gospel. Your cause is to strengthen leaders. Your cause is to serve, serve, serve those who need it. And last year, without that face-to-face, that got really difficult. But that doesn't mean you're done. It means you sit back, you pray, you get creative, and you place a new strategic bet. And that strategic bet, you have to have confidence in, it, but you can't be certain of. That's perspective three in the book. Unpack, read the book, and it will help you to understand this whole front framework so you'll make better decisions and have more influence. But but I would say those are two big topics. You know, what does work look like for people leading businesses? You know, what's the what's the workplace gonna look like? Are you gonna let people have freedom of schedule and working from these places where are you hurting? You know, collaborations definitely suffering. Uh, culture will take a hit over time if you don't create experiences for people to come together. So, uh, it's interesting times for me. I think it's amazingly exciting. Um, and I get to pray a lot and it's not easy, but that's okay. That's when, that's when leaders flourish.
1: So good. Okay. Last question. We got to get personal. Love getting personal with guests other than surfing and snowboarding. How do you stay healthy as a leader, Daniel? My morning routine is the
2: key to my existence. My morning routine is everything. Um, So my morning routine is the best part of my day, and that's me face down. That's me in the Word. That's me praying. That's me stretching. I'm incorporating a little yoga. I'm incorporating some good stuff into my body, what I'm drinking first thing in the morning, um, what I'm eating, uh, God's Word. Uh, I love getting into his word. I love praying. My wife and I this morning, we've just in the last year started a new little deal where usually we're face down praying and going through the word together. Um, I, in the last uh, several months have started, I like to to memorize scripture. And uh, so I've started uh, um, stating those scriptures with my family. So I've had opportunities uh, on a regular basis with my bride or with others to just Pray through Psalm 23. Love it out loud. Just not just verbatim, but like going places with it and, and then listening. The new practice my wife and I have had, uh, we, my wife has a, an autoimmune deal and uh, an infrared sauna was a good remedy for that. So we sit in the sauna we, this morning, pray and listen, just listen. If I can get 90 minutes of being forward thinking, putting the good stuff into my thinking and strengthening my belief and understanding my identity back to that inner gear. Now I have energy to look at you, to care about you, to understand that you're a gift. I can serve you. You've got something special. I'm not wrapped around the axle because I'm worried about what's happening here and there because of news and social media and text messages and email. I protect my first 90 minutes. And if I do that, I feel equipped to hopefully be who I'm supposed to be throughout the day. Without that, eh, running on empty bud.
1: Mm. So good, man. So much more to talk about. We'll have you back on this podcast. Guys, go ahead and grab this book, The Seven Perspectives of Effective Leaders. Man, I love the focus on decision-making and how that increases your influence. Daniel, so near and dear to our hearts. Keep up the good work. Thanks,
2: Alan. You too, buddy. You're doing great stuff and it's great meeting you. And yeah, I hope a whole bunch of people out there are benefiting from you and your services and they check you out at Stayforth Designs. Good stuff, man. Thanks so much.